Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. Man, I've heard it said before that the purpose of God is the glory of God. What a a statement, right? The purpose of God is the glory of God. And so as we think about uh, what it looks like and what it means for us to together and as a body give to support the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which goes to support missionaries all over North America to engage uh, culture with the gospel. Man, I want you to consider what it looks like for you to, um, in, in generosity, right? And self-sacrifice, give to support. As we said last week, um, um, every every gift that's given to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which we will take up on April 12th, that is Easter, um, 100% goes to train, resource, and send thousands of missionaries involved in church planting and compassion ministries across the United States and Canada. Okay, so our partnership as Southern Baptists, our partnership is a part of Sin Network, that is the church planting arm of Southern Baptists, um, is is integral in this, right? It's important in this. So um, don't don't like buy into this idea that like you don't have capacity to give or what you give does not matter because that just simply is not true, right? I know that we're a, a relatively young church with a lot of young people, right? Some of you guys are, are taking classes, right? And working part-time jobs and paying rent and doing all of these things, right? Here's the deal, man. We want to lean into and display generosity in every area of our lives with our time and, and with our financial resources is to go about seeing the work of gospel advancement, kingdom advancement take place and happen in the world, right? And so so don't buy into the idea that like, man, I'm just a college student. Like I got, I'm going to pick up $10 worth of ramen noodles at Walmart tonight to get me through the week, okay? That whatever you have to give does not matter, okay? Because it matters, all right? So think about what it looks like for you, for your family to live generously, displaying through our generosity, the generosity of God, all of it points back to him. It all purposes in him. It all speaks of him uh, as we prepare for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering on uh, April 12th, Easter morning here in just a few weeks away. It makes it hard to believe Easter's just a few weeks away. Holy cow, that's insane, right? It doesn't feel like Easter out this morning, right? Yesterday did, today not so much. So thanks for braving the elements to uh, to be out here with us this morning. As we open up Ephesians chapter four, okay? So we are we're continuing through, right? We're progressing through. We're we're moving forward. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and as I stated last week, perhaps if you were here, if you caught up on the podcast, you know that we almost like turned a corner. There's a there's a hinge point in chapter. Um, between chapter 3 and chapter 4 where there's almost a shift, right? We need to shift our understanding and expectation of what is to come from these last few chapters of this incredible book. Now, of course, it all works towards the same end, right? It all works towards the same purpose, and that is the exaltation of Jesus, right? The, the glorification of Jesus leading you and I to enjoy and worship and celebrate Jesus. That's why we're here this morning, right? Cat out of the bag. We are here to worship and enjoy Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4. 
is going to lead us that direction. But it is helpful for us to understand what is before us and how we ought to read and engage with this epistle at this particular point. So let's look back for just a moment, right, as is typical. Paul spends three chapters, the first three chapters of this book, holding out and celebrating a series of rich theological truths. Rich, deep theological and doctrinal truths related to salvation, new creation, and reconciliation. Essentially, Paul does this for the first first half of this book. He says again and again and again and again, this is what God has done for you. This has been the, been the, the, the primary message up until this point from Paul to the Ephesians. Okay, you were, you were like this, but now you have become someone else. This is what he says, right, over the course of these, these three chapters that we've spent the past few weeks navigating. But there's a hinge point, right? Like we're preparing for something a little bit, a little bit different. It engages us and challenges us a little bit differently as we come into chapter 4. As we move into chapter 4, we find ourselves in the second half of this book, at this point, marked by a series of imperatives. So chapters 1 through 3 are identifiable by their God has done theme, which they are. Then chapters 4 through 6 present a live this way pattern. Right? Because, because chapters 1 through 3 are true, then as you live out your new identity as a new person in Christ, do this, Paul is going to say, and don't do that. Paul reminds the Christian that God's work in us through Christ results in a certain type of life for those that now house his spirit. Did you catch that? Right? For, for those of us in this room right, who, have, who have believed on Jesus, who have gazed upon the glory of Christ and, and thrown ourselves on him for the forgiveness of our sins, committing to die to ourselves and live for him. Our lives are now, are now marked by certain, certain attributes, certain characteristics, because the Spirit of God is housed within us, right? Because the Spirit of God lives in you and lives in me, right? Because He lives in us, our lives look different. The first three chapters, Paul is saying again, right? Hey, man, this is what He's done for you, and this is the after effect. He emphasizes at one point, Right, that, that, that the Spirit of God now lives in you. This new creation, this new being, this new person. Right, that we have been saved by faith, unified in Christ with people who come from different backgrounds. That's the message, right? Up until this point. And, and now... Paul begins to discuss further what it looks like to walk together in unity as we are made to look more and more like Jesus. What does it look like for the people of God from different places, different backgrounds, to walk in unity in the Spirit as we are made to look more and more like Jesus. That's what Paul's going to talk about. He's going to talk with the Ephesians about, about how to do this, 
right? And so if you're, if you're here this morning, you go, man, that sounds like a really stellar novel idea. Like, I think I want to be on board with that. I might be on board with that, but I would love to diagnose it a little bit more, a little bit more carefully, right? To identify it a little more intentionally. Then let's lean into these next six chapters, these next 16 verses. I'm sorry. We don't have six more chapters to go. We're, we're halfway done. 16 verses. Let's start in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we see from Paul a call. Well, what's the call? Well, let's, let's, let's go to the text. Paul writes this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Right? I, I implore you, I encourage you, I call you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes it helps me to understand what someone is not saying in order to better understand what they are saying, right? So let's be clear. You're, you're not saying this. No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, great. Now I feel like we're on, a, we're on a path to understanding what you are actually getting to, right? Paul is not saying this. Here in verse 1, Paul is, is not saying, get your act together, <laughs> He's not saying, get your act together, because if you don't, then you will bring shame on the name of Jesus. And because that's not what Paul's saying, that's not what we are going to say this morning. As Paul David Tripp writes of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, if that's the message of this verse... If the message of this verse is get your act together, because if you don't, you'll bring shame on the name of Jesus, then we, you and I, are corporately and individually in a whole lot of trouble. Why? Well, because we don't have the ability to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if we think that we do, then we, we've drastically underestimated the power of indwelling sin. So what we need to do first is we need to distinguish between the call to live up to the gospel and the call to live out of the gospel. We're distinguishing between these two ideas. What does it mean to live up to the gospel? And what does it mean to live out of the gospel? I think we need to distinguish here because Paul clearly distinguishes here. And the second is clearly God's desire for his people and Paul's for the Ephesians. So in the first three chapters, there is expressed instruction to live in the strength of the spirit. The same spirit that we've already stated lives in you as a follower of Jesus. Paul says, Paul says things like, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named that, here it is, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That comes from Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse 14 and working through verse 16. So in other words, Paul says this, he says, it's my prayer that through the strength of the spirit, you would now live in a new and different way. Are we getting that? This is what Paul's saying, right? Ephesian people, right? Like, here's my prayer for you. 
that you would begin to live or would continue to live or would now live in a new and different way because through the strength of the Spirit, you can live in a new and different way. Or you can now live for King Jesus, pursuing him and the holiness that he provides and the holiness that he produces. Did you catch that? What we're talking about there. Right, through the strength of the Spirit, live new because you can now live new. Right, it would make no sense for you to, to live old because you've been made new. Don't live in this former manner, right, in this former way, but live in this new way. A way that will call you into a posture of humility and reliance on the Spirit of God for strength. Live for King Jesus. Pursue King Jesus. Pursue the holiness that he provides and the holiness that he produces. And so let's ask a question at this point. We've made two distinctions, right? What does it mean to to live up to the gospel? And what does it mean to live out of the gospel? Well, we are certainly being encouraged to live out of the gospel, not up to the gospel, because we know we can't live up to the gospel. But we certainly can live out of the gospel in every area, in every relationship, in every facet. Look at me. In every area of your life, in every area of my life, this message that Paul is is driving home to the Ephesians here. You are to, we are to, they are to live out of the gospel. Why is this distinction so important? Hopefully we're getting the fact that it's important as I feel like I've just been pounding away on this nail for the past like seven or eight minutes, right? Like this is a big deal. This is important. Why? Well, because any attempt to live up to the gospel will without question result in pride, arrogance, and legalistic obedience. On the other hand, as the Christian is moved to live out of the gospel, which is our desired position, as we will see in verse 2, humility, a celebration of Jesus, and the preservation of unity among the people of God will be the byproduct. Why is the distinction so important? Well, because the marks that flow from these two ideas are drastically different. In fact, they almost find themselves at polar opposite ends of the spectrum. One is marked by pride. The other is marked by humility. Right? One is going to ultimately be marked by dissension and disagreement. While the other is going to work towards the preservation of unity. One is going to lead to a celebration of self, while the other is going to lead it to a celebration of Jesus. The trajectory is set. Right? The trajectory is set as followers of Jesus live the way of the cross. That's what it looks like to live out of the gospel. We live the way of the cross. Paul emphasizing here his, his being a prisoner of the Lord. 
Now, we know that this is certainly unique to Paul's context, right? That he is, in fact, at this moment, as he pins this letter, a prisoner of the Lord, right? That he is in bondage. He is in chains as a result of his his faithful proclamation of the gospel and his boldness, right? To, To walk the way of the cross as we are talking about here. But there's a sense in which you and I, right, every Christian identifies with this theme, right? We understand that we are too prisoners of the Lord, that we choose our chain, right? That we choose our chain. We will, we will either be like chained to the ways of the world, which results in like bondage and oppression and anxiety and depression, or we will be chained to Christ, which results in in everything that is good at the other end of what we just said, right? Freedom, joy, love, ease, rest, confidence. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live the way of the cross as, as prisoners of the Lord. This is the expectation for for each and every person in this room who confesses Jesus. For sure, the the call to walk worthy from verse 1 refers not only to individual believers, although it certainly refers to individual believers, but also to the corporate body of believers. Right, that it's, it's not just for you, but it's for us. Again, what is Paul repeated on, on, on countless occasions as he pens his, his letters to various churches and peoples? Right, don't be concerned about my imprisonment. That was his emphasis here, right? And, and, and the, in his letter to the Ephesians, he encourages them not to be concerned about his imprisonment, but instead to focus chapter 4, verse 1 and following on their conduct during his imprisonment. Not to live up to the gospel, but live out of the gospel and to walk in holiness in a manner worthy of their calling. A manner further explained in verses 2 and 3 as Paul calls for a preservation of unity. And so we begin with this idea that there is a call from Paul as a prisoner of the Lord to walk out of the gospel. We understand that this same call extends to you and I. Prisoners of the Lord, our desire is to, in every area, in every facet, in every realm, in every sphere of our lives, in our marriages, in our friendships, relationships with, with coworkers and interaction in the community, right, with the world, creation, ourselves, is to live out of the gospel. How does the gospel inform and shape the way in which we live our lives? We rally together every Sunday around a resurrected king, right? We come together and we we rally around a resurrected king named Jesus who calls us out of death and into life and sets us on a trajectory to walk by way of the cross as a pilgrim people to the glory of the Father, Walking out of the gospel. What does it look like for 
you, right, to, to consider walking out of your new identity in Christ, what he has accomplished on your behalf in all of these different areas, right? I mean, I could stand up here for the next 45 minutes and like just lay out like area after area after area after area, but they're so unique. Like we are unique people. You are in a unique place in history, right, in your own life. What does it look like to walk out of the gospel? That's the first question. But, but then, as we have already stated, there is an encouragement while Paul is imprisoned that there would be a preservation of unity for the believers there in Ephesus and the new relationships that they enjoy as this new man, this new union in Christ Jesus. A unity that he produces in his death and resurrection as he unites men and women to God and to one another. This has been a common theme that we have seen emphasized over recent weeks as it is a prevalent theme here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Here, Paul calls this people to foster and to live out of this unity as they walk out the gospel, as they live out of the gospel. Let's go back to verse one and let's connect this with some ideas that Paul presents in verse two. Back to verse one. Everybody there with me? Say amen. Amen. Here we go. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in which you have been called. Verse two. What does this look like, right? Well, well walk with all humility gentleness and, and patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, Paul says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let's remember this, right? This truth shapes the way that you see the person next to you. Okay, this, this truth shapes the way that you see the people that you will encounter as you walk out of this place this morning. God has created in Christ a new community made up of his people who have received forgiveness through faith. The gospel informs your relationship with the person next to you, whether you realize it or not. No matter how close you are, right? You're like, well, I'm sitting next to my my husband or my wife. Yes, the gospel informs that relationship. I'm sitting next to somebody I've never met before, right? I'm not even sure that I know this guy's name yet. Here's the deal. In Christ, the gospel informs that relationship. And here's the beautiful thing. That this new relationship, that this new community made up of people who have received forgiveness through faith is not a byproduct of, of your ability or my ability to create it. Right? Like we don't create the community. We don't we don't build it. We don't put it into motion. God does. God is creating this new community. God is creating this new people. Which, if we're honest, provides all the more encouragement to guard it well, right? Because it was, it was given to us, right? It's a, as we are going to see as we continue through this passage, it's a gift. 
This new community is a, is a gift. God certainly uses it to glorify himself. He establishes it so that we might even here, even now, begin to live in some semblance of what we were created to live in in the first place. Before sin, like, wrecked it all. God builds it. God creates it. And Paul's call here is to preserve it, to guard the unity that he ushered in, to guard the unity that Christ builds and creates, solidifies by way of his spirit. And to do so how? Well, to do so in humility, right? to guard the gospel, to guard this new relationship, to guard this new, this new community, this new unity in humility in gentleness, in in patience, and forbearance with one another for the sake of Christ and the continuation of this new unified relationship between his followers here on earth. This is what it looks like to live and to walk this out, right? To, To live out of the gospel and to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We find that it actually flows from the gospel. To to live this way and and to walk this way, it flows out of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for you and I. It's informed by who Christ is and what he has done for you and I. It is strengthened by the benefit that is the spirit of God that comes from what Christ has done for you and I. A walk worthy of call flowing from the gospel, Paul says, demands these marks. It demands these marks. Well, what were the marks? Let's review them. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance with one another. Bearing with one another. But not just bearing with one another, right? But bearing with one another in love. Another common theme that we've seen through Ephesians, right? That to desire what is good for someone is not simply to like to to withhold placing upon them something bad that you would like to do to them, right? That that's not desiring what is good, right? I desire what is good for you and therefore I won't throat punch you, right? That is not desiring what's good for someone. Desiring what's good for someone is not only am I not going to wish ill on you or enact like ill on you, right? But I'm going to want what is good for you as is defined by the Lord. Eager to maintain, Paul says in verse 3, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let's just like be really honest. Can we be really honest for a second? Everybody put your walls down. Like put the facade down, the fakeness down. Let's just be real, right? That what we're talking about here requires intentionality. It it requires commitment. It is not, as one commentator notes, automatic. And Paul reflects that by way of his writing here in Ephesians chapter 4. To to live this out, to walk this out by the strength of, of the spirit who lives in us requires a conscious effort on the part of the believer who lives in reliance on that same spirit. 
So here's what this looks like, right? We're getting ready to start a new work week. Everybody's stoked about a new work week. Yeah. It looks like, you know, stepping back and going, okay, for me to like walk out of the gospel and seek to live in humility and gentleness and patience and, and bear with, with those around me who know Jesus and love Jesus, right? Eager to maintain unity. For me to do that, it's going to require of me like a, a certain intentional thought processing, right? That like as I lay down tonight and get up tomorrow morning, I've got to wake up and I've got to go, all right, here we go, spirit, right? Like you and me, <laughs> like we're about to walk out of this thing. We're about to walk this out. I can't do this on my own. I know that your word is clear, but I can't do it alone. I need you. I am reliant on you The gospel says that in Christ, there is, there is now no conflict for the believer with God. The gospel says that, that for the believer in Christ, there is now no conflict with God. This is Paul's message in Romans chapter 8, right? That there is no condemnation for the Christian. Right? For the, the law of the spirit of life has set and free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, we are now, we are now identified in Christ. We are identifiable because of who Christ is. We are with him and we are in him and he is in us. The unity that Paul is talking about here, that he is encouraging here, that he is calling for here is based on this relationship. We can't separate them. Do we understand that? Right? Like we can't go, okay, like reliance on, on relating well and living in unity with other people, even people within this room, right? Let's take it out of the workforce and let's bring it into the local body, right? To live in unity as a local church desiring to glory God in all things is going to require that we lean on and into the spirit. And this desire is inevitably shaped and informed by the relationship that we now enjoy with God. They're connected. All right, we live in unity with God through the finished work of Jesus. There is no condemnation for the believer because we've been set free through the law of the spirit of life. And because that's true, we live in unity with one another. We desire to preserve unity with one another because it speaks of him. It speaks of who he is and what he has, of what he has done. This becomes clear in verse 4 where Paul writes this. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Man, the fellowship of believers, the community of God's people is dependent on no commonality except our position in Christ. I want you to think about how huge that statement is. Right? That, that, our, that our fellowship, our unity is dependent on no commonality except for our position in Christ. This is what Paul's emphasizing as he lays out this series of one statements, right? These are things that we have in common. We recite every week the Apostles' Creed, right? Like it is, it is a statement of our faith. We see a very similar statement here in Ephesians chapter 4, 
Right? Paul says, man, we are called to one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. As great as, as a common social interest is. Man, you love running? Me too. You love knitting? Me too. You love clay? Me too. As great as that is, right? As great as a a common cultural heritage can be, the Christian shares something greater in common with other Christians. We are a part of a universal church made up of of new men and, and new women, no longer Jew or Greek, but one body. Possessing certain hope of our deliverance from sin and its penalty and our new position in Christ as we identify ourselves in a common baptism that is our death and resurrection with him. True fellowship in Christ. True, genuine, authentic fellowship in Christ is not dependent on financial status. It's it's not dependent on age. It's not dependent on background. These things are all temporal, right? They're all changing. Our common interest, our, our fellowship is constructed around something eternal. This unity, this union that Paul is, is encouraging us to, to walk out of the gospel into and to preserve is constructed around not just something eternal, but someone eternal. It's all constructed and held together by Christ. It's all constructed and held together in Christ. Reality, right? Relational conflict will wage war on the unity that we enjoy. And yet it seems as a part of the human experience as sleep does. Paul here is saying, as we walk out the gospel, we desire a preservation of unity. And we're going to get to the bigger why around this in just a few minutes. Because there is a much bigger why. There is a much bigger purpose and an intent. But what Paul says here, what the gospel says here, is that we do not have to continue in this rhythm of relational conflict. But instead that Christian unity through Jesus and because of Jesus is attainable. You guys are living this out. It's what he's saying to the Ephesians. You're living in unity. Continue to live in and pursue and preserve unity. As we live out our identity in Christ. Eager to intentionally take on humility and gentleness, patience and love for one another. Working with one another. I think the desire is that we see ourselves on the same team. (laughs) Right? Living out a new and higher purpose. That we wade into conflict more slowly. Seeking to extend between believers especially benefit of the doubt. I'll never forget uh, my, a good friend of mine. Great friend of mine during college. One of my roommates. He was like the first one of us to get married. Anybody kind of in that season or, or remember that season where like everybody you were friends with in college just starts getting engaged and married. 
Anybody? No? Just a few of us. Okay. All of you college guys, get ready, man. It happens, and it is trippy. Okay? It's crazy when that started happening. Right? This was the first guy in our group that kind of got married, and he shared with us a little bit about his, his premarital counseling when he went through. And he said that there was this statement that was brought up as they kind of walked through their counseling with, the, with their pastor and the guy with the, who would officiate their wedding. And it was this. It was like, realize you guys are on the same team with one another. Right, So that when, when one of you hurts the other, you can look across the table or the aisle or whatever, and you can go, listen, like, we are not at odds with one another. Like, we are on the same team. There's a similar vein here, right? Like, Paul is saying, I like, understand that you guys are all on the same team together. Preservation of unity becomes much easier when there is this understanding that, that this person is not intentionally seeking to disrupt the unity. There's miscommunication. There's something going on. We need to talk this out. But we're on the same team. We're rooting for one another. We're cheering for one another. We are all moving together in the same goal and purpose, desiring the same thing. Man, it's seeking and, and wading into conflict more slowly. Understanding that this unity all glorifies the Lord. This sounds incredible, doesn't it? Like if we could snap our fingers like, and just like see all of relational conflict that we know and experience disappear, who's not going to want that, right? Naturally. And so we read something like this and we go, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go do that. But there's still the kind of this question of how, isn't there? Like we know we walk in these things. We know we, we walk out of the gospel and the gospel produces. What we find as we, as we kind of continue and begin to round this thing out is this, that in Christ and the provision of his grace, we find fuel for the call that Paul is laying out here in these first few verses. In Christ and the provision of his grace, we find the fuel that, that allows one to walk this out as Paul is, is laying out kind of this new life for the Christian. The provision, the provision for the preservation and the walking out of the call. That's kind of where we are if you're, if you're following along. Right, God has clearly, as we observe in verses 7 through 16, Extended gifts. He has bestowed gifts for his people that play a vital role in maintaining the unity that this unique body enjoys. This, this unity that, that God desires, that God is passionate about for his people. Look with me at verse 7. Paul writes this. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, quoting from Psalm 68 verse 18, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above uh, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave gifts to the church that serve to preserve unity and, and move individuals forward as we will come to see in holiness. And he gave, verse 11, apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and, and teachers to what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, right? So we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, right? That we wouldn't be carried away, that we wouldn't be tossed about, but we'd be founded like mountains, We are to to grow up in in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now that is a lot. What is Paul emphasizing here? Well, he's emphasizing, as we notice from the the last portion here, one's growth into maturity. He talks about it in terms of manhood, right? Being, Being grown up, becoming grown. So that you're not you're not tossed about. So you're not deceived, so that you're not taken captive by false ideas, false doctrine. He's emphasizing growth into maturity, growth that certainly takes place through an individual's engagement in and through practices of the disciplines, growth that certainly takes place through prayer, right? There is a role that we play in maturation individually, right? Like if we desire, if if China desires, if Seth desires growth into maturity, there are certain, certain things that can be fostered, that can be adopted, that can be practiced that are going to assist in that. Prayer, scripture reading, meditation, memorization, service, and certainly suffering, although we are typically much less fond of that last one. However, right, the, the primary emphasis is growth that results from being a part of a body of believers, That's what Paul's emphasizing here. Remember, there's this this communal element to everything that Paul is talking about. He's, He's talking about how this group of people walk out together the gospel. How they live out Christ together. How they relate with one another, having now been made new in him. Thus, it would make total sense. That this is more an emphasis on the body relating and functioning together than it is for the individual's particular work. There's clear emphasis on the corporate element. We know that based on the gifts highlighted by Paul. What does he say? He says that you've been given these things. You've been given these people, apostles. You've been given prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. All of these for the church and the growth of the saints. For what? Well, for the building up of the body of Christ. Gifts, right, that God gives to the church for building up and maturation until all attain maturation and stability and truth. What are we here for and what do we desire? Can I I lay this out for you really quick? Here's what we desire. What's our agenda? Here it is. 
It's exactly what Paul says here, <laughs> right? It's, it's growth, it's, it's maturation, it's stability and truth. We come together on Sundays, right? And we, we exposit God's word. We look to God's word and we say, man, what does God have to say? And, and how does he say it? How does he desire that his people would live out of this? How does this draw us into greater appreciation, gratitude, and worship of King Jesus? These are all questions that we ask. We gather around tables throughout the week. Do me a favor. If you're a part of a DNA group, if you're a part of a discipleship, nurture, and accountability group here at Christ the King, I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to keep it up for a second. Okay, you can put your hands down. Here's the deal, right? Like, we do this not because, like, we just love to get together and drink coffee, although if anybody in this room (laughs) loves to get together and drink coffee, it's me. And there's a place for that. It's not bad. But, man, we gather as God's people around the gospel so that we might be matured, so we might grow up. It's like getting in the weight room together, right? I mean, we're, like, working out together, Dylan. We're working out together. So we might grow, so we might be strong, right? So there might be this this maturation, stability in what? Stability in truth. Stability in truth. Gifted men were given for the equipping of the people of God, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. I heard in a podcast and I made a note in the front of my Bible. Some of you guys don't write in your Bibles. I write a lot in my Bible. And I write kind of on the front pages like quotes and things. And a lot of times like, I put something in there and then it may be years before I go back and, and look at it again. Providentially, I went back this past week and I found this quote, which I feel like just, it just fits so well with what, with what this passage has to say about what God desires for us. Okay, here it is. Okay, God is militantly committed to presenting you to himself in a glorified state. God is militantly committed to presenting you to himself in a glorified state. Paul here is emphasizing the communal element of the church as a part of this process. Fullness of Christ, doctrinal stability, growth up into Christ and strengthening the body. One commentator made the following note on this particular passage. We're again, we're, we're, we're landing here. So hang with me. Lean in these last few minutes. The church is Christ's instrument, not only of world outreach and renewal, although that is certainly true. As the people of God, we go into our workplaces and we go into the community and we recognize brokenness that exists there because we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. We all know this. We all experience this. As those who have been renewed and are being renewed, we go into these situations and we go, man, how does the gospel renew this? How does God desire this situation, this chaos, this brokenness to be renewed by way of of planting me in it? Because that's what he desires, right? Like wherever you are, whatever's going on, God desires renewal to take place in this area, in this sphere, glorifying him by way of your presence there. The church is definitely Christ's instrument for this. But also his sanctifying work in the believer's own life. 
through Christian example, through worship and accountability. All of these contribute to growth in grace as we are not only saved, but ourselves renewed into the image of Jesus. Purpose, intent, practicality, application. Tim Keller says it this way, man. The the irony of the gospel is that the only way to be worthy of it is to admit you are completely unworthy of it. Maybe this is where we begin. As we kind of look back at our journey through these 16 verses. Our sins are forgiven and we are set on a course towards maturity in Christ. In eternity past, we find the Father and the Son and the Spirit in perfect unity with one another. God is in Christ. That's what the gospel says, creating this type of unity within the church. We are experiencing to some degree and and mirroring, reflecting to the world, the type of unity that God has from eternity past enjoyed in himself to the Father, Son, and Spirit. Why do we value unity so much? Why does Paul value unity so much? Why does he spend so much time encouraging the preservation of unity? Because this is God's desire. This is God's heart. You want to know how serious God takes unity among his people? Look back at the book of Acts at a story about Ananias and Sapphira, where the Spirit of God is, is, is building this community of redeemed people who are loving and pursuing after him, who are passionate for him, who are serving one another. Two individuals bring an eruption into that. And you know what God does? He kills them. <laughs> what a story, right? <laughs> He values unity. He doesn't want the disruption of of his people. He wants them to be unified. Why? Well, because through their unity, they're displaying who he is to the world. This unity is possessed through faith in Jesus and the power of the momentary separation of Christ at the cross and his resurrection from the dead to create this in us and to create this for us with him and with one another. The avoidance of conflict and the facilitation of gospel-centered, unified community. Two questions that we need to ask as we close, and we are closing. Two questions that we need to consider, that we need to ask in ourselves. You ready for this? Here we go. Number one, are you in the body of Christ? Are you in the body? We've got to begin there. Are you in the body? Have you... Come to Christ and given your life to him, understanding that he gave his life for you. If not, man, like I invite you to do that. For the Christian, there's also a call. A question, a consideration. Are you functioning in the body of Christ? Like, are you functioning within this new community that God, through his spirit, is is building? Are you you active, right? Are Are you active within, like, the local body? You find yourself here this morning, right? And so allow me to speak specifically about, about what's going on here and what the Lord is doing here. Are you active here? Serving, serving people. 
participating and, and service and, and contribution to growth. Not so much not so much numerically. Okay, know what we're talking about when we talk about growth here. Paul is providing a, a new framework by which we see and understand this here in Ephesians chapter 4. We're not talking about numerical growth here so much as we are talking about maturity. I mean, I have a great benefit as the, as the pastor of this church to, to know the stories of so many of you. I know where you have been, right? Like we've had, we've had conversations, long conversations. And the benefit of doing, doing community in one area, doing, doing ministry in one area for so long is that you know not only like where you are now, but I know where you've been for many of you. And for some of you, that may be terrifying. But what a testimony to, to God's faithfulness. Or as I, as I look out and I think, man, I remember you when you were like, when you were here, right? And like now, man, like, like here, we're not done yet, right? But holy cow, has the Lord displayed faithfulness. Now he's done the same thing in me, but it's easier for me to see it in you, right? Because we're not, we're not where we want to be yet. We haven't arrived. We're not there. But the Lord is faithful and he is, and he is committed. maturation of the entire body and her members in unity and and confidence in the finished work of Christ who who saves us and calls us to walk in reliance and unity resulting in celebration of him here's what we're going to do we're going to we're going to come to the table as we do every week i'm going to invite the the guys who lead us in song to come up and um as we prepare to come to the table i want you to consider just the maturation process in your own life i want you to consider the faithfulness of the lord and and his commitment to your personal growth and the ways in which he has provided you to be a part of this growth and others his mission his his primary mission that is the glorification of jesus by way of the building up of his people, rescued from sin and set on this new trajectory, transformation, gospel transformation, sewing, knitting our hearts together in unity. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. And now we come as a unified people to the table and we enjoy the broken body and the spilled blood. We're reminded of how all of this happened. We're reminded of how all of this happened and and we're reminded of what we have to look forward to one day. We are not yet finished, but we will get there because he is committed, because he is faithful. Here this morning, we come as as redeemed people. We come as, as broken, redeemed people to this table and we enjoy this meal, man. But we will one day enjoy this meal anew and the work will be finished and we will enjoy beautiful, perfect intimacy and unity without any fear of of breaking that apart with one another and with our King. Man, what glorious news. Let's pray together as we prepare to come.